Jordan, our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we're thankful for the Shabbat. We're thankful for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would speak through me as a clay vessel, that you would illuminate your glory, that you would use me, mold me and make me and speak to each one of our hearts, speak to us directly from heaven, directly from your throne, directly from your lips and speak your truth in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Our study continuing out of the book of Kings, or well, with Kings, we come to the prophet Jonah. <coughs> and so as we've been going through the Kings, we're up to Jeroboam II in the north, uh, in Israel. Uh, and Jonah the prophet down here in the bottom mentions Jonah. And we'll see this in our text today out of 2 Kings chapter 14. It says, in the 15th year of Amaziah, king of Judah, that's the kingdom that was in the south, Jeroboam, king of Israel, became king in Samaria in the north. And he reigned 41 years. Well, that's a long time. That's longer than most of the kings in the north had opportunity to reign. Most of them got cut off pretty quickly, very quickly. He reigns 41 years. And though he did evil in the sight of the Lord, he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. So this guy's named Jeroboam, our new king, Jeroboam. Uh, and he, the, the, the original king of the northern tribes of Israel uh, was also named Jeroboam. So this is Jeroboam II, in a sense. And he's following in the same way that the other. Now it's not a continuous bloodline. Uh, in the north they had several different dynasties, uh, each one getting cut off, each one getting uh, their prof prophetically being told that uh, their lineage is going to get cut off and someone eventually comes along and kills them all, including all their children, and then start their own dynasty. And, and so that was kind of a similar thing. That was a continual thing in, in north in Israel. And so Jeroboam comes along and he happens to be named for whatever reason after that same Jeroboam that, uh, or the same name, whether after it or just the same name. Um, and that Jeroboam, the original one, he made the two golden calves, one up in Dan, one, I believe, down in Samaria. And, uh, and so this Jeroboam is following in that same way, continuing to worship those same golden calves. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamatha to the Dead Sea of Araba according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hephar. So we have this prophet, Jonah, who's called his servant, God's servant, the God of Israel, the true God. Even though they're worshiping these golden gods, God is still claiming he is their God. He has still claimed them as his own even though they are not claiming him as their own. And he claims his servant, Jonah, and he says, Jonah prophesied that this king would gain back the territory that he had lost. And sure enough, Jeroboam did that. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. Well, why was there no helper for Israel? There were the golden calves, and golden calves can't help you. <laughs> right? Silver and gold cannot help you. It's only the Lord God Almighty who can help us. 
But the Lord had mercy. The Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam. And this is very interesting. It says that Jeroboam did evil in the sight of the Lord, yet he allows him to reign a long time, 41 years, and he sends a prophet to him and, he, and, and prophesies positively about him and that he's going to have victories, and he does have victories. And then it says that he saved them by, God saved them by the hand of Jeroboam. That's about as good as it gets in the northern tribes. Down in the south, they were still worshiping God and following God, but in the north, that's about as good as it got. And then it says, the rest of the Acts, verse 28, 2 Kings 14, verse 28, the rest of the Acts of Jeroboam, all that he did, his might, how he warred, how he recaptured for Israel from Damascus and, and Hamath, what belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicle, Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jeroboam slept with his fathers, and Zechariah his son reigned after him. And so the guy reigns 41 years, and we just read everything that the Bible has to say about him. Could you imagine? 41 years, and that's his whole file. <laughs> now, it does say that there are more written about him in the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Now, in the Bible, we have First and Second Kings, and we have First and Second Chronicles. But I look through the Chronicles of the Bible that we have, and he's not mentioned at all. Often Kings and the Book of Kings, the Books of Kings and the Book of Chronicles will mention both kings. But from this part on, it stops mentioning the kings of the north. Paralleled a lot all the way through, but to this point on, no more mention of the kings from the north in the book of Chronicles. So the chronicles that we have, I will assume, are the chronicles of the kings of Judah. And just happen to often mention the kings of Israel as well. And so we don't seem to have the books, what are referred to in this text, as the chronicles of the kings of Israel. We just don't have them anymore. And, uh, but we do have the book of the kings, which talk about uh, the kings of Israel all the way till their end, and as well as the kings of Judah, mentioned in the book of kings. So that was it. That's the whole Jeroboam too. That was everything it said about him. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, yet uh, he did some good things by God's hand. So looking back at that verse 25, as he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of that city down to the Dead Sea, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through the servant Jonah. And so now we'll take that and we'll look at the book of Jonah, because this is where he is in history. So as we go chronologically through, uh, we come to Jonah. And so Jonah was alive, and we have the book of Jonah, um, and we have this other occurrence of him being mentioned prophesying for the Lord, being a servant of the Lord, and, and prophesying about Jeroboam. So in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Atamiah. So it matches right up. It's the same Jonah, timing, the name, the son of. And God told him to go to Nineveh and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come before me. And Nineveh's wickedness was very wicked. Now, Nineveh was a part of the kingdom, or the capital of the kingdom of Assyria. So you had Assyria, you had Syria, and you had Israel, and you had Judah, and you had Moab. But uh, Syria at that time was the biggest and strongest of them all. And they were cruel and wicked in many ways in how they treated their prisoners and uh, 
uh, torture that they did. And so God tells him to go to Nineveh. And so in our picture here, we see where Israel is, and God's telling him to go to Nineveh, so we see the direction of that. He wouldn't go in the direction of that arrow, because you'd have to go across the desert. He would have gone north and across the Fertile Crescent, as it's called, and then come to Nineveh. And Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, is in what is currently Iraq. Jonah found a ship going to Tarshish, and he fled from the presence of the Lord. And so we see in our picture there, that is the opposite direction. So he got a little lost there. His compass must have been backwards or something like that. Maybe he held it upside down. But he goes in the opposite direction from God's calling upon him. And uh, now God has already spoken to him and told him to go to Jeroboam. And he went to Jeroboam and he spoke to Jeroboam. But that prophecy was about good, that Jeroboam was going to, you know, conquer some cities. And, uh, but now God's calling him to go to Nineveh, uh, a really wicked city, compared especially to Jeroboam, and tell them that they're wicked and that they need to repent or they're going to be destroyed. And so he decides to go for a cruise and, uh, instead of a land trip. And, uh, goes down, yeah, carnival cruise. And he gets in this boat going to Tarshish. Now we could say, how could he do such a thing, right? God spoke to him. It's the servant. He's the servant of the Lord. It says in First Kings that the Lord God of Israel spoke to his servant Jonah, and now he's God's servant, and God's speaking to him again, and he's going in the opposite direction. What kind of a prophet is that? What kind of a man of God is that, right? It's the captain's fault. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, scared, fearful. What's wrong with this guy? How could he do that? You know, he's just this look down on him. But if you think about it, in today's terms, that would be like God speaking to you or me, and much less so, and telling us to go to North Korea. Or to go to Tehran and go to Iran. And go to their president. And tell them they're wicked and evil and that God's going to destroy them. Now he's got a funny haircut, you know, that, uh, whatever, and tell them that God's not happy with them. Without God actually sending you to do that, what do you think the chances of getting out alive would be? Zits, right? Zero, none, right? Yeah. But how many of us would be willing to do that? How many of us are willing to do that? Forget about North Korea, forget about Iran. How many of us are willing to come to this town? How many of us are willing to go to our neighbor? How many of us are willing to go to our family? How many of us are willing to go to someone at school, uh, someone at work, and share the gospel with them? To share the word of God with them? To share the truth with them? We don't have to go all the way to Nineveh to be serving the Lord. We need to start where we're at. We need to start with the people God has placed in our hands. And we don't need a verbal word of the Lord to tell us to do that. 
because the written word of the Lord has already commissioned us and has already told us and has already chosen us for that very purpose. The Lord God of Israel has already spoken to his servants, each one of us, and called us and commanded us to share God's truth, to share God's word, to share God's love with those around us. Sometimes it's with deeds, sometimes it's with actions, sometimes it's with demonstrations of love or mercy or kindness and forgiveness or helpfulness or charity, and sometimes it's with the word. Sometimes it's a word of kindness, sometimes it's a word of encouragement, sometimes it's a word of rebuke, sometimes it's a scripture. Sometimes it's with a Bible story or a Bible account. Sometimes it's with an invitation. Sharing a card, sharing an invitation to services or to Shalom Adventure or to some way, shape or form for them to be able to read or see or hear the word of God. God has called each one of us to share. Have we been running from God's calling? Have we been running from where God has called us to be? Have we been running from the calling that God has upon us individually? And just as God holds Jonah account, God will hold each one of us accountable. And just as God is almighty and God loved the Ninevites, and called Jonah to go to them, he loves the people in our sphere of influence as well. The people around us. And I mean, today we've got Facebook and all these other kind of things, and there's a lot of ways to share God's word, to send it out there, and to get it out there. A lot of times I'll be reading news articles, and you know, at the bottom they'll have the comments people write in, and sometimes I'll look at those. And, and, and people will often have, I made, from working at home, $50 an hour, and you can too. It had nothing to do with the article. They just put their little advertisement in there. We could do that too. We could say, I found God, and he is wonderful, and you know, Bible text. <laughs> Doesn't matter what the article's about. There's lots of ways for us to share God's truth. We don't have to go all the way to Nineveh to do that. It wouldn't hurt for us to go to North Korea or to Iran or to wherever God calls us as he calls us to go because North Korea, Iran, and many, many, many other parts of this world are desperately in need of him. This is the remains of what a part of Nineveh looks like today. You can imagine how fortified it looked in Jonah's day. He knew if he goes in and the king is not happy with his words, he's not getting out. <laughs> so, I mean, we can look at, Nineveh, look at Jonah and look down on him, or, but really, we need to look at ourselves. And God hasn't called, I mean, maybe he has. Maybe some of God has called to go to 
again, some of these places he's, I mentioned. But for the most part, for most of us, he's just calling us to share in very pleasant ways, in very peaceful ways. I mean, the worst thing they can do is say, oh, no, thank you for your card. <laughs> no, thank you for the invitation, or I don't want to hear it anymore, or whatever. I mean, even if they yell at you. In most instances, we're not going to lose our lives yet. So while we have time, while it is day, we need to be sharing God's love. The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, and the ship was about to be broken up, and the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the load. And Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship and was fast asleep. <laughs> now, why was there this wind, this tempest that comes up on the sea on, and, and rocking this boat to pieces that Jonah's on? That even these tough mariners that have sailed this sea tons of times, and they're terrified. They're crying out to all their gods, and they're dumping their precious cargo overboard. That's how bad it got. Why has God allowed this tempest to come upon them? To get his attention? Why is he trying to get his attention? To turn him around. Why is God wanting to turn him around? Say there. He loves Nineveh. And he hasn't forgotten about Nineveh. Jonah was hoping maybe God would forget about Nineveh, but God hasn't forgotten about Nineveh. And so God is wanting Jonah to still go to Nineveh. He loves Nineveh. That's why he called Jonah to begin with. But what's the second reason he's getting his attention? God loves Jonah. God loves Jonah. <laughs> and God knows this is good for Jonah. Jonah needs to do this. Jonah needs to go there. Yeah, God can find someone else. God can use someone else. God could send an angel if he wanted to. But this is good for Jonah. Jonah needs to experience the power of the Lord. Jonah needs to do what God has called him to do for Jonah's sake as well as for Nineveh's sake. And we need to be about God's business for what God's plan in our life is. And if we try to avoid it, God will try to get our attention. It might be a storm. It might be a rocky storm. You might lose some cargo in the, in the, in the meantime. God loves us. That's why he's called us. That's why he's chosen us. To be his light. To be his servants. And to share his glory with others. Now Jonah's down in the bottom of the ship and he's fast asleep. And again, this is such a storm. I mean, I'm sure this was not a big, huge, like I said, carnival cruise ship that is able to, you know, withstand a lot of this rocking. It's probably really rocking. Especially these mariners, they're terrified to death. And he's sleeping in the bottom. How on earth can he sleep through that? He's tired. He's exhausted. Why is he so tired and so exhausted? What would cause somebody to sleep through that? Anxiety. He's depressed. He's depressed. He's in a deep depression. Goes down to the bottom, the darkest place in the ship. No light coming in there. 
probably the worst down there as far as shaking around, and he's able to sleep through it because he's so depressed. God can't see me here. Hey, he's up and God can't see him. He's depressed. He wouldn't want anyone to see him. He doesn't want to see himself. He's so depressed. Guilt and avoidance of God's will in our life can bring about depression. Now, it's not the only thing that will bring about depression, but it's one of the things that can bring about depression. Avoiding God's will for our lives. Disobeying God. Resisting God's will. Resisting God's truth can bring about depression. And Jonah's a perfect example of that. He's depressed and sleeping through it. And the captain came to Jonah and said, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said, come, let us cast lots that we may know who caused this trouble to come upon us. And the lot fell on Jonah. Why did the lot fall on Jonah? Because God loves him. That's right. God hasn't given up on Jonah yet. And God is trying to get him to do what he called him to do. So God allows the lot to fall on him. And they came up with this idea. And the, the captain went down there and found him there. All because God was still calling Jonah. God loves Jonah. And they said to him, What people are you of? What is your occupation? And he said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Is that true? Yeah? Not exactly. For it to be true, it's got to be 100% truth, right? Someone tells you something, and there's 1% lie in there, right? It's a lie, right? He says, I am a Hebrew. Is he a Hebrew? Yes. He says, God of heaven who made the heaven, the sea, and the dry land. Is that true? Did God make the, the heavens and the, the sea and the dry land? Right? Yes? Is Jonah fearing the Lord? No. He's fearing, but he's not fearing the Lord. <laughs> right? He does not fear the Lord. And that's the problem. He's afraid. There's a difference of being afraid, and that brings about his depression as well, than fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord is obeying the Lord. Knowing the Lord is almighty. Knowing the Lord knows all things. Knowing that the Lord knows what is best and what is best for me and that God loves me and knows what's best for me. And he wouldn't call me to do anything that is not for his honor and glory and in the best interest of me and everyone else. And knowing that, and knowing that rejecting that call and rejecting his love, there will be fearful consequences. So it means to fear the Lord. And he doesn't fear the Lord. He's running away from the Lord. He's not respecting the Lord. He's not honoring the Lord. He doesn't have that holy fear of the Lord. So we talk about fear, like, like we should have a, uh, a fear of the stove, right? Should we fear the stove? Does that mean we shouldn't go into the kitchen, never turn it on, unplug it, and never use it? Does it use it as a shelf or something like that? Is that what you do if you're fearing it? No. That means that's what you do if you're afraid of it. <laughs> but if you're fearing it, that means you don't put your hand on the hot burner. 
right? When you reach in to get a hot plate that's been in there at 400 and something degrees, you put mitts on, right? So you're respecting the power of the heat that's in there, right? And what it did to the, to the, to the plate or to the, to the container, made it hot. Right? And so you're respecting the power of it. You're respecting, but you're working in harmony with it, and thus you're benefiting from it. The stove can be good to us, right? The stove can provide us with good food, right? So it's good when we are working in harmony with it. And the same with the Lord. He's good. He's all good. He's all powerful. And if we work in harmony with him, it comes out good. If we go against him, we get burned. If I put my hand on the hot stove, was the stove trying to burn me? No. I invited it. It was being a stove. And God is being God. And that's the natural result of going against God. And he is not fearing the Lord. So the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said, why have you done this? So they understand godly fear. Why would you do that to your God? And for the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them so. So he lets it all out. God told me to go to Nineveh. I didn't want to go. I'm going the opposite direction. So why did you do that? <laughs> you got this God who created the sea and created the heavens and created the earth, and you're running from him? He is almighty. These guys know more than Jonah does when he's depressed and fearful and running. And they said, what shall we do that the sea may be calm? And he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will become calm for you. Why would he say such a thing? Because he does not know God. He thinks God's trying to punish him. He thinks, get me out of the situation, let me die, and then the sea will come calm to you. The storm is here because God is trying to punish me. Would God send the storm to try and punish him? No. He sent the storm, why? To wake him up, to get his attention. Why? Because he loved him. <laughs> and he's trying to draw Jonah back, and Jonah's thinking, he's trying to get rid of me. Just get rid of me, and then everything will be fine. But not everything will be fine. Nineveh will still be in problems. And God will have one less servant. God will have one less child. So that's not what God's desiring. But Jonah thinks that's what God's desiring because Jonah really doesn't know God. At least here. Maybe when he was prophesying for Jeroboam, he was doing good, but he took his eyes off the Lord, ran from the Lord, got depressed, and now his thinking is thinking. And he's thinking God is... A Mean, angry God. God loves him. And God cares for him. And God does not want this to happen. So he says, throw me overboard. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. But they couldn't, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous. And they cried out to the Lord, we pray, Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done as it pleased you. These mariners are crying out. These guys who have all these other gods, they're crying out. They're trying, they're rowing more. They don't want to throw them overboard. They're doing everything they possibly can to not throw the guy overboard. They have more of a fear of the Lord than Jonah. 
And then they pray. Oh, boy, we don't know what else to do. The guy's saying, throw him overboard. We're trying and we're still sinking. We don't know what else to do. So we're going to do what he says, but please don't hold us accountable. Because we know this would be something that's not good. But we don't know what else to do. And so they picked Jonah up and they threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging, and then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Wow. These are the mariners worshiping all their other gods, out these rough sailors. And they see this. Wow, we threw that guy overboard. And the sea got calm. And they worshiped the Lord. They feared the Lord exceedingly. They fear him more now than they did when the storm was there. And they make vows to him after the storm. Most foxhole prayers, they're making their vows while they're in the storm. And when the storm is over, they forget about it. These guys are making their vows afterwards. Right? Have you seen that or heard that? The guy is up on the roof and he's falling. Oh, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. And then he stops himself. He says, oh, never mind. <laughs> I got it. These guys acknowledge that it was God who did that. It wasn't us. It wasn't just happen chance. It was God. And it's the God who created the heavens and the sea, the God that Jonah was talking about. And they offer sacrifices to him. So they're giving to this God in thankfulness and praise and in godly fear and took vows. Maybe they should have gone to Nineveh. I mean, God, they, they got, these guys got an understanding. God got their attention. And the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So the guys throw Jonah overboard. And God brings this great fish and swallows him up. Why God send the fish? He loves Jonah. He loves Jonah, that's right, that's right. He doesn't want him dead, he still loves him. So he sends a fish to go and catch him, right? This is a great fishing story. Fish goes home and tells, I caught this man, you know? <laughs> and look, all his friends don't believe it, you know? <laughs> so God loves Jonah, so God sent the fish for Jonah. Why else? Keep him safe, yeah. What else? God loves Jonah, and God loves Nineveh. He hasn't forgotten about Nineveh yet. You guys forgot about Nineveh. God did not forget about Nineveh. God still loves Nineveh, and God still wants Jonah. No one else, God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh. And God wants us to go where he's called us to go. He doesn't want anyone else to do what he's called you to do. He doesn't want anyone else to do what God has called me to do. He wants you to do it. He can get other people to do it. Again, he can send angels. He's got many other means. 
but he wants you. He loves you. And he loves those people around you. That's why he's placed you where he's placed you. And he's calling you to reach out to that. Because it's good for you. We can try and run from it, but God won't give up on those people and he won't give up on you. He'll send circumstances and situations to get your attention, to wake you up, and to call you back to him. And so, if God is bringing someone to your mind or something to your mind that God has called you to do, maybe some act of obedience, maybe to go talk to somebody, maybe to go do something for somebody, God is calling you to do something. Something that's been impressing your mind, maybe for years. Maybe you've been running from it and avoiding it. Turning your back on it. God is trying to get your attention again. Why? Because he loves you. Maybe you've been suffering depression. Don't know why. Or maybe it's because you've been running from the call of God. Maybe it's because you've been afraid of something God's asked you to do. Maybe you're afraid you won't have enough means, you won't have enough finances, you won't have enough ability, you might fail, you might be rejected, you might be laughed at, you might not do well at it, you might be making excuses, someone else can do it, someone else can do it better than me. Maybe you're avoiding something God has called you to do. Maybe some area of God's word, some area of obedience. God is calling you to be freed from the depression. To look up to him. Maybe you're going through some storm in your life. Maybe the waves are cracking at every single side and it seems like you're going to crack. You're going to sink. You're going down. You're in despair and you're trying everything and trying to muster everything together and trying to pull things together. Trying to hold it together. And it just seems to be getting worse. Maybe God's trying to get your attention. Trust in him. You don't have to be thrown overboard. You can cry out to him. Ask him to give you his power. Ask him to forgive you for running from him. Running from his call. Avoiding his power. For not trusting in him, for not believing, for not fearing. Accept his forgiveness, accept his mercy, accept the sacrifice that he's already provided for us, and accept his mighty hand and his mighty power to go forward and do what he's called you to do, to gain the victory that he has called you to gain. To walk the walk he's called you to walk. And Jonah was placed in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. He's not the only one who got swallowed by fish. History has other stories of people getting swallowed by fish and surviving. Maybe not as dramatic as this, but it is possible physically. And of course, no doubt, miraculously as well. God had him in there for three days, three nights. And Yeshua says that that was a sign. God turns this 
act of disobedience, this act of rebellion, this act of running away from him, and turns it into an illustration of what was going to happen to the Messiah. That the Messiah was going to go down into the belly of the earth. And he was going to experience death for three days, three nights, and come back to newness of life. Why? Because God loves Nineveh. Because God loves this world today. Because God loves you and me. And God knew that was the best plan. As the only way to receive forgiveness of sins. To be set free from our depressions, from our fears, from our disobedience, from our angers. And to be empowered by God's life. And to be transformed into his image. And empowered by him to do what is right. It's the only way to receive forgiveness. It's the only way to receive God's power. It's the only way to receive victory. It's the only way to be doing God's calling. Because we cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot do it in our own ability. But we can do all things through the Messiah who strengthens us. And so whatever God has impressed you tonight, he's calling you to do. Don't go ahead and try and do it in your own way or in your own ability, or in your own power. But cry out to the Lord, who's giving you the call for him to also give you the plan, for him also to give you the power, for him also to give you the victory. Because he is Lord of Lords, and King of Kings, and the God of Gods. And he created the sea, and he created the earth. And he's called us to fear him, and worship him and walk in his light and his power. So as we pray tonight, any of these areas that we learn from the beginning part of the story of Jonah, any area that applies to you as we pray together, I invite you just to talk with God. Ask God to do in your life whatever you're needing to do. To give you courage, to give you boldness, to give you faith. Whatever you're needing tonight, Reach up and grab a hold of God's hand. Let him pull you up to heaven. Pull you up before his throne. Allow him to empower you and strengthen you. And to set you back on the course that he's called for you. As we pray together. Our Lord and God, ruler of the universe. We are thankful that you are the Lord God of heaven. We are thankful that you're the Lord God of this earth. We are thankful that you're the Lord God of the universe. And we're thankful that you haven't given up on this earth. You haven't given up on each one of us. We're thankful that you love us. We're thankful that you love Jonah. We're thankful that you love Nineveh. We're thankful that you love the, the wickedness of this earth. And we're thankful that you see it. You hear the cries and the pains that we go through. And I'm thankful that you love each one of us. And I'm thankful that you have a calling for each one of us. And that you have a plan for each one of us. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you have called each one of us to be your servants and to be used by you. So set us free of the depressions, set us free of the fears, 
Set us free of the resistance. Set us free of our running. Lord, give us the ability to see you in your love and in your mercy and in your goodness. And use us, anoint us, touch us. Cleanse us through the sacrifice of the Messiah and empower us through your spirit to go forth and to shine your light and to share your light with all those we come in contact with. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.